You're listening to The Central Cast, recorded each week in front of a live audience in Glendale, California. Just a joy to be with you all this morning. Thank you so much for hosting me and having me. Uh, Aaron calls this a pastor swap. Call it, call it whatever you want. Uh, in our community, we always start with a discussion question. So we, you know, we, he just played a song about happiness. So we're going to open up with a question. So turn to a neighbor and talk about something seemingly small that makes you happy. Just something small that makes you happy. And then we'll, we'll bring it back in a minute. All right, does anybody want to share? Mine involves a chicken and a peacock that live in our neighborhood. And when we go on walks, there's like this chicken and peacock that are best friends. And they just like hang out together. Sometimes they're like sitting in the yard. Sometimes they like one will cross the street and the other won't follow. What do you have? What's, uh, what's something small? It was so windy in the valley this morning. Was it windy where y'all live? It was, it was crazy cold. All right, well, we'll kind of work our way back towards this question. Uh, I want to start out by acknowledging that your pastor is really brave. See, posts his thoughts on Facebook. I don't know if you follow Aaron on Facebook or if anybody's on Facebook, but Aaron posts on Facebook. I don't know how he does it. Uh, but I, I really appreciate that it, the fact that he does this. He, but he posts his theological musings on Facebook. And he posted one a, a few weeks ago that I have up on the screen. Uh, and he writes this. As a minister, I find myself increasingly caught between two somewhat contradictory messages, both of which I value and teach. Number one, stop using God as an escape and embrace a knowing lack and death instead. Basically, get over God and get on with your life. In doing so, you will find a kind of serenity, a deeper commitment to this life, this world, and those in it. In God's death, crucifixion, we are reborn anew and made mature beings. And number two, we are one with the absolute ultimate reality, the source grounded being, the sacred divine God, whatever you want to call it. We can find great meaning in this and a deeper sense of connection to each other, the cosmos, in the ineffable mystery of life and being. I feel like these don't have to be contradictory messages. I feel like both are true in their own ways. And so I preach just a little light Facebook post, you know, it's like <laughs> Facebook used to have that thing. What was it? It's like, what are you doing or how are you? And Aaron's like this. Um, but this morning, I, I really, I'm sure like many of you feel this tension and have found yourself at some point in category number one or category number two, or sometimes both at the same time, this feeling of lack and unknowing, but then also a sense of groundedness and wholeness. And so as we talked this morning, like this is really what I wanna affirm and recognize that we sort of all, both of these at the same time sometimes. Uh, my story overlaps with Central in, in many ways, just like probably why we're all here this morning. And I'm from Texas, Okay, that's fair, that's fair. Uh, and so I grew up in 
cultural Christianity, conventional Christianity, as you would imagine someone growing up in Texas in the 90s would. And But when I was in high school, I was very, very fortunate to uh, be a part of a, a church that was uh, connected to the emergent church movement. Remember that thing that used to exist in the early 2000s? So as a high schooler, I was really fortunate to be exposed to writers like Ian Lamott and Brian McLaren, friends of Central like Peter Rollins and Rob Bell. Uh, and was the seed was planted early for me to kind of ask questions and embrace complexity, doubt, unknowing, these sorts of things. And I was a part of this church, this community, uh, and at the end of uh, my senior year of high school, there was a pastor at that particular church, a guy named Kyle Lake, who was 33 at the time, and he was going to baptize someone in church, and he like reached over to touch a microphone stand, and there's somehow like an electrical current running through that stand, and he passed away in church, 33, three young kids, just an absolute tragedy. And walking through that, the aftermath of that tragedy with that community shaped me in ways that I'm, you know, just over a decade later, still kind of realizing how that formed me at a really early age, because we talked about, talked a big talk about asking questions, embracing complexity and doubt. But through that experience, we, we really had to grapple with any kind of conventional theological notion, right? And so for me at an early age, uh, kind of conventional notions of the divine were were kind of gone, and it takes a long time to kind of process those things, as as you all know. Um, but one thing that I affirm in you know in Aaron's Facebook post, in what we recognize is that both of these are saying something about what it means to awaken to our lives, to be a bit more present with love here and now, and so a gift that that those experiences early on did give me was a recognition of this question of what, what really matters. Because so much of the preoccupations of conventional Christianity and church and you know what somebody thinks about the Bible all seemed at that point a little ridiculous in light of, okay, what really matters? And so I was always drawn by that question of like, okay, we carry these important things, the work of love, liberation, justice, but also we have to hold them in a different kind of way because we recognize at some level, like this right here, being here is what really matters. And so I wanna kind of dance around the, these themes uh, of awakening and how we can be more present with love and what matters and how we can care deeply uh, by taking ourselves a little less seriously. The great philosopher, Andrew Bernard, the office, the Nard dog. He says, uh, I'm sure you've seen this meme at the end of the office. He says, I wish there was a way of knowing we were in the good old days before we actually left them. And I think we can all resonate with this sentiment that we recognize looking back at different seasons in our, in our lives where we've been, maybe we've taken things for granted or we've been unconscious to what was going on and it could be either good or bad seasons or something in between. And we look back and realize, you know, those were the good old days. And I've been asking myself this question uh, lately a lot, uh, like what's something small that makes me happy? Um, I mentioned the chicken and the peacock that makes Andrew and I laugh. Um, the other thing that makes me happy is uh, burrito day. On Thursdays, uh, we have a slide uh, of Ellie and I. Oh, Ellie's so cute. Ellie's in the back asleep. 
Uh, burrito day makes me extremely happy. Thursdays are burrito day and it's a new prior tradition where Andrea and Ellie and I will get in the car, we'll drive to Pasadena and we'll call in Lucky Boy breakfast burritos. And if you've never had a Lucky Boy breakfast burrito, this is not a sponsorship. They don't want me to say this, but they're very, very good. Uh, so we'll call it in, we'll pick it up and we'll take them to Fuller's campus, lay a blanket down and we'll just enjoy Lucky Boy burritos on Fuller's campus. You talked about the sun shining, sun shining, birds, anxious students running to class. And it makes me extremely happy. And I know like there's a sweet tenderness to it. Like I know I will only have so many burrito days. Like I know that clock is ticking. I will only have a finite amount of burrito days. Has anybody done a last time meditation before? It's a, it's a practice in stoicism where you come to the reckoning that everything you do, you eventually do for a last time. And so you go through the meditation reflecting on something that you've done for the last time. Maybe like you think about the last time you went camping or went to the beach. And then you kind of recognize uh, in a way to approach every situation, recognizing like there's a tenderness to it because it could potentially be the last time I do this thing. And so you, it's a way of engaging our lives a little bit more tenderly. Um, maybe has anybody seen the meme? Uh, it makes me think of the meme. Uh, one day you went out to play with your friends for the last time and no one knew it. Has anybody seen that meme before? Um, I, I think about that a lot because I had a group of friends growing up and we were kind of like the Sandlot. Uh, if you've ever seen that movie, uh, we played baseball together almost every night of the summer on this corner. We would play tennis baseball and we all lived close enough that we would play and then everybody would eventually you know run home when our parents would call us uh to run home yeah you gotta love the the backstreet boy <laughs> bleach blonde dyed hair that we all had uh good times uh, and i think about that like one day we went out and played our last tennis baseball game like no one knew it and there's something precious and tender about approaching our lives recognizing that we will do things, everything we do, we will do for a finite amount of times. Like you mentioned your daughter's laugh and like approaching life this tenderly. The comedian Pete Holmes, who I adore, I think he's hilarious, look at him, having fun. Uh, he, he had a podcast recently with uh, the, the writer Ryan Holiday and Pete had a phrase that I love called nostalgia for the present. Nostalgia for the present. And I think it perfectly encapsulates this idea that I'm talking about where you have a sense of nostalgia in the moment. And he talked about in relation to uh, putting his little girl down for bed, that every time he goes to put his little girl down for bed, there's a nostalgia to it that he recognizes like, I'm only gonna do this so many times and feeling that nostalgia in the moment. There's, a, there's actually a phrase for this, it's called anticipatory nostalgia, not anticipated nostalgia. So in, anticipatory nostalgia is a positive emotion where you do recognize that everything you do, you know, we will do this for a finite amount of times. I think this is helpful because it, there's like a healthy attachment, detachment from the moment that we recognize that everything is impermanent, everything is fleeting. And we're closely associated with it, but in a way that we have a bit of space to it. Uh, 
someone recently, I was talking about this idea and they, they brought up the word savor. And I think that's a, another really great term for this, savoring what we're experiencing. Um, it brings like a kind of levity to it. It's like so much of conventional Christianity uh, takes itself so seriously, right? There's, it, it really like everything seems like life and death. And if you've ever been or in you know conventional churches or uh i've had the pleasure of working in many different kinds of churches and there's like a weight to it there's a heaviness like everything is live or die it's like all weighing like whether or not you have like the right theological ideas or perfect politics and i think one aspect of respecting this tension of caring deeply and holding what we find to be important in in aaron's tension is like we're recognizing that love and liberation has a kind of impermanence to it and that we so much of what we get caught up in our life like doesn't matter it just doesn't matter um and then when we get some space between what's happening between in our lives and our world like we might just be able to like laugh at ourselves a little bit a little bit more and sort of remind ourselves that we're on some level in the good old days um okay i should bring in some bible now huh uh so i think there's a, a window of this approach in like taking not taking the important work too seriously in luke 9 when jesus sends out the disciples it says this jesus now called the 12 and gave them authority and power to deal with all the demons and cure diseases he commissioned them to preach the good news of God's kingdom and heal the sick. He said, don't load yourself up with equipment. Keep it simple. You are the equipment. No luxury ends. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. If you're not welcome, leave town. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and move on. Commission they left. They traveled from town to town, telling the latest news of God, the message, and curing people everywhere they went. My favorite line is shrug your shoulders and move on. Like to hear, it seems to me that Jesus is recognizing that while the healing work of, of liberation is important, there's a lightness to it. Like keep it simple, keep it light. Like this matters. I don't think Jesus would have said that it didn't matter. It's like this matters, but don't get, don't get too wrapped up in it. Don't get too attached to it. There's something beautiful about caring deeply for our own healing, healing of the planet, while recognizing that it doesn't have to, doesn't have to weigh us down. Keep it simple, travel light. Jesus reorients us to awaken to what's here and now. Some call this the kingdom of God. Uh, one of my favorite movies is a movie called About Time. It's kind of old now. Has anybody seen this movie? Yeah, a few people. Okay. If you haven't, you're welcome. Uh, I'm like the evangelist for this old rom-com at this point. So uh, I think this movie has a lot of themes that get this sense of being present to the beautiful imperfections of all of our messy lives and appreciating all of it. So uh, let's watch this clip and and then we'll kind of head to wrapping. So I'm almost up to date with my story. As all families do, 
we got used to life after death and it was still fine. And things settled back into their traditional rhythms, season after season, and are much as they have always been. And we've got used to Kit Kat being happy again. And then we got used to her being a mum, albeit not a very good or even a safe one. And in the end, I think I've learned the final lesson from my travels in time. And I've even gone one step further than my father did. The truth is, I now don't travel back at all, not even for the day. I just try to live every day as if I've deliberately come back to this one day, to enjoy it as if it was the full, final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. I don't get many things right the first time. If you haven't seen it, you'll have to, you'll have to make time for that. Uh, I wanted to play this because I think it captures the idea of being nostalgic for the present. Uh, that we get to experience small things, the daily annoyances, only a finite amount of times. And in a culture that's constantly asking us to improve, succeed, win, Maybe we can just enjoy the good old days while we have them without needing to bear ourselves down with so much stuff that doesn't matter. And maybe what this feels like is awakening to the kingdom of God, which exists here and now. It's a gift to be here talking to you about what matters and all the silly ways that we get up, caught up in things that don't. And when we inevitably get wrapped up in all of our little dramas and annoyances and the things that we wish we didn't have to do in our week, we can always shrug our shoulders and move on. There's always that. Uh, I want to close this morning by reading the final paragraph of uh, the sermon that uh, that pastor that I mentioned, Kyle, didn't get to this is the last paragraph of his sermon uh, on the day that he passed away and um, I'll close with this abandon your plans of escape and be where you are plant gardens live and live well I don't know what your planting gardens may look like but let me in by providing a glimpse of what they might be like live and live well Breathe. Breathe in and breathe deeply. Be present. 
Do not be past, do not be future, be now. On a crystal clear, breezy 75 degree day, roll the windows down and feel the wind against your skin. Feel the warmth of the sun. If you run, then allow those first few breaths on a cool autumn day to freeze your lungs. And do not be alarmed, be alive. Get knee deep in a novel and lose track of time. If you bike, pedal hard. And if you crash, then crash well. Feel the satisfaction of a job well done, a paper well written, project thoroughly completed, a play well performed. If you must wipe the snot from your three-year-old's nose, don't be disgusted if the Kleenex didn't catch it all because soon he will be wiping his own. If you recently experienced loss, then grieve and grieve well. At the table with friends and family, laugh. And if you're eating and laughing at the same time, you might as well laugh until you puke. And if you eat and smell, the aromas are not impediments to your day. Steak on the grill, coffee, beans, freshly ground, cookies in the oven. Taste. Taste every ounce of flavor. Taste every ounce of friendship. Taste every ounce of life. Because it is most definitely a gift. Amen. All right, I know it is Central's custom to do a uh, follow-up Q&A kind of thing. So, uh, so yeah, feel free if anybody wants to say anything, throw tomatoes, whatever, you know, critique me. I always get good criticism at Mission Hill. So, you know, you, you don't have to like, you know, keep the gloves on, just let me have it. True, yeah, that's why no one ever invites me back to Waco to preach. <laughs> Any thoughts, any questions? Yeah. Hi. Oh, sure. Um, I feel like I've come across this a couple times, um, the 80-20 rule, which applies, I've heard in a number of things of like in an organization, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And like in your, you know, I've heard it also with, being a person where it's like 80% of your time is kind of like putting off the 20% of your time that actually does what you need to do. So I thought, it, I don't know, it made me think of the, that where like, um, <laughs> I feel like this might get convoluted, but just how much of our time is spent perhaps in things that are maybe yeah, just not actually contributing to our happiness and yeah. not actually like leading to enjoying or at least savoring or doing things well, even if it's grieving. So I don't know, I was just thinking about that notion of how we tend to put a vast majority of our time or some like a larger body towards things that might be detract like detracting us from what will actually be productive or life-giving or helpful. Yeah. Um, so it just made me think of that and just, I don't know, it can be difficult to catch it. I don't know if I'm like scrolling or looking at something and I feel like it can be hard in the moment to be like, wait, 
do I need to spend another half an hour looking on Trulia for a house I can't afford? Is this actually like a great use of my time or is this kind of that 80% waffle? Um, So anyway, just thought about that. Yeah, it's all really interesting. Um, Those are good thoughts to have. Like to me to like, I think there's also a little bit of the, the productivity culture that can kind of seep into that mindset too, where it's like, we have to, we have to then always be productive. So mindlessly scrolling, like you should really like demonize yourself for doing that. When I think in some ways it's like, how do we, how do we like hold these things and like sort of recognize the way we get caught up in our things or like, you know, scrolling on Trulia. Yeah. Is it the best use of my time? Uh, okay, but I'm also not going to beat myself up for it. Like, is that really like the worst thing in the world either? Because you're not meeting some kind of productivity marker that, I mean, there's so many different books that are, you know, really advocating for, you know, throwing away the smartphones. And a lot of that is is right in in some respects, but also I kind of, um, I kind of wonder like what that is trying to also produce in us as well. And I think you brought up a point on happiness that I think is important to kind of, maybe talk about too that like you know the phrase song that you said like happiness is a term that I think sometimes um, we we associate it with a particular kind of emotion but it can feel so many different ways like I forget exactly what they they sing in that song but it happiness is encompassing a wide range of of feeling and I think that's also like when I say what what's something that makes you happy. I mean, I think it's the Casey Musgraves that says like I'm happy and sad at the same time. Ooh, yeah, I think that's what she sings. Uh, that we are complex and we can feel a lot of different things at the same time. So when I say happiness, I'm I'm not referring to like a particular re- reductionistic view of happiness. If that makes sense. Any other thoughts? Yeah, comments? Yes, yeah, Steve. Uh, thanks for the about time clip that that movie makes me sob uncontrollably so uh, tender any any screenshot of that movie I'm just like oh no Um, I I enjoyed your talk I find for myself uh, there is an anxiety on both sides of the spectrum Uh, there's an anxiety in not being present and not like thinking about the finite that I'm like wasting time I also find for myself that like, if I think about how things are finite, then there's an anxiety that they will end. So like, I'm somebody where somebody will gift me like, you know, a really nice expensive box of cookies or whatever. And then I won't eat the last one because like, you know, like I'll eat them slowly over like six months and then they go bad before I can actually finish them because I'm like, oh, but once they're done, then this like, is gone and I don't have that anymore. Yeah. So there's this like peace, finding peace with the fine, you know, with the fact that things will end and being okay with the fact that things will end and enjoying when it's here, but being okay with the fact that it, and that's the part that I find that I'm always trying to figure out in my life. Yeah, that's a really good good point. And when I was looking up uh, the nostalgia for the present, that's when I found that the term for it is anticipatory nostalgia and anticipated nostalgia is the negative emotion, kind of like what you're saying associated with that, which is like you have a fear or anxiety about like projecting yourself in the future, missing what you're missing. So it kind of takes you out of the present moment as opposed to nostalgia for the present, which is actually like, 
you have you have an awareness but you're an ability to like appreciate and to savor but yeah that is interesting how how we can have all these different kind of anxieties around that yeah yeah eat the cookies man enjoy yeah yeah that's good though I have sort of a last cookie thing as well that that reminded me of just like when I first moved into the place that we're at now, I was like, oh, I should plant some some citrus trees like there's a lemon tree in the back and and nothing brings me more pleasure than like being able to go out when it's in full, you know, produce and like grab a lemon and make a cocktail out of it. And that's like makes me so happy now i've always been like i should plant some more trees i should plant a lime tree and you know but then i stop myself because i'm like oh, i don't know how long we're going to be here i'm going to plant this tree and then like going to like move out like next year and i'll be so sad that i have to like leave my lime tree that i've planted but the amount of like i thought that right from the beginning and now we've been there like nine years and i could have so many trees you know i could have so much fruit um the amount of time that I've spent thinking like, oh, I should really like plant a tree. I could have just like many times gone out, bought a tree, planted a tree and had many limes by now. Anyways, that's sort of my last cookie thing. It's like I'm, I avoid doing it because I don't want it to like, I don't want to have to leave it and then feel like I put in work for something that I have to, but I don't know. There's lots of places in my life that I can think of like, oh, if I had just just done what I, you know. Yeah. And do you feel like that connects you as far as like, I mean, to not have regret? Do you feel like that like connects you to like where you are now, where where you have a, a deeper sense of appreciation for or like what you enjoy you're like oh yeah that makes me realize that i enjoy i enjoy like planting and or you know doing something that i feel like is going to to benefit me or do you feel like you're caught up in the sort of like the past in that does that make sense i think that no it, it does like remind me what to kind of act on those small things yeah. more. I think I can get caught up in like thinking of happiness as such a like complicated goal to achieve sort of. And I think stuff like that reminds me that it is in the like small things too. Yeah. 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 And for me, it's, it's also, I mean, in the, in the annoyances, I had a really bad day a couple of weeks ago and it's just like got a phone call at like 6 45 and basically the train wrecked the first half of my day and it was just like trying to put out fires like all not literal fires but you know put out okay, uh, to figure out what was going on all the way to like 1 p.m and i just had to like laugh at, at like you know at lunchtime i was like this is yeah, another Pete Holmesism. Pete Holmes is getting a lot of shout-outs this morning. He has a phrase called "good episode." It's like whenever you you have something like that where you're just like completely out of control, you you just sort of take a step back and you're like, "That's a good episode." That was a, that was a good 
that's a good episode right there. Uh, and that's what I had to do like that is like my whole day, like whole half of the day was train wreck. And we have days like that where the whole, like the half of our day is just a complete mess. Nothing that we were planning on doing was able to get done. And, and then sometimes we just, we can let that affect the rest of the day or the rest of the week, because you had this like awful morning. That was on a Monday too. Uh, and to me, it's like, even that it's like appreciating those where you're like, I couldn't have done anything about any of those things, <laughs> like good episode and uh, good old days. Like that's, that'll be a funny story. Um, so for me, it's like those kinds of things. Um, now that I feel like, you know, you have like some space between even your bad days. So I don't have that. Something quick to add to that. Um, I heard uh, David Sedaris in a podcast uh, talk about how whenever someone is like crazy to him and he has like a crazy experience and someone's really rude or really like nuts, he, he's like really like afterwards, like really grateful. He's like, yes, this will make like, this is going to make a great story. I'm so excited about this story. So that's yeah. been like inspiring me when someone's just like some crazy things happen or some person is you're like what later you're like oh this is gonna make a great story yeah once you've processed the craziness yeah yeah um i find this whole concept really challenging i'm gonna be honest not in the theoretical sense, in a practical sense. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think culturally we're so ingrained in thinking about what we need to do to secure our future, what we've done in the past that we need to fix or, you know, get away from or whatever. And at least for me, I should speak for me, um, living in the present is really a lot of my work right now. And a, a piece of that, um, I'm sure that there are other people who experience this, is, um, so I have a history that involves a lot of depression, a lot of sadness, and those are super familiar emotions, and they're my go-to emotions. And living, even considering being happy, like I've had to literally work at this in therapy. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm sad, there's nothing to lose. There's no risk involved in being sad. Mm -hmm. But the concept of even experiencing and resting in and living in a state of happiness is um, challenging because it's going to go away. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, it, it, and, and for some people, it's easier to be in that place. So they don't necessarily feel that way. They feel like sadness is the anomaly. And for me, it's the reverse. Right. And so, so experiencing being happy can also um, involves this huge, not, to, not risk, certainty that that's going to go away. And it's going to feel worse because you let yourself actually fully experience it. Yeah. And so I, I really appreciate your talk and I, I'm constantly like trying to take these ideas in more and more and more and I'm getting better at it thanks to a good therapist. Um, but 
I, you know, living in the moment is, I think, really, really big task for our lives. Yeah. The most important task, probably. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Uh, and I, my wife can attest, my default is sadness as well. Uh, I don't know if anybody's into the Enneagram here, but I'm a four on the Enneagram. So you can judge me if you hate the Enneagram. You can feel what you want about the Enneagram. That's fine. I'm not tied to it, but I'm a four on the Enneagram. So I, I you know, it's a default mode for me. And like I said, like, I think it's a great conversation. Like when I say happiness, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about it in a kind of aspirational way. Like, oh, I have to elicit a certain kind of positive feeling. Uh, I kind of mean like the, the, like the phrase, I like the word savor, like, like being present to what this is. Like, and that's why, I mean, like with Kyle's um, death and, you know, a variety of experiences that I had in, in church at an early age, um, a lot of that had a lot of death and dying uh, involved in that. And so um, there is a kind of appreciation, a gratitude that didn't involve happiness. I mean, we've all been probably through somewhat of like a deconstructive faith experience. Like that's not super fun, right? Uh, going through, uh, you know, mining your sort of like cultural Christianity and figuring out Oh, a lot of these like really formative relationships with people that I've had in church maybe were not quite what I thought they were. Like a lot of that work is not happy or fun, fun work. But I think there is a kind of uh, appreciation or a gratitude for those experiences or some space between what it is, what we're experiencing, what's happening to us. And we all need to like depending on the season of life, we'll all need to figure out what that feels like for where we're at. I mean, and that's why uh, community is important. That's why uh, getting outside is important. Like some of us need to feel like, in, like if we're going through something or a lot of, like a lot of things are happening in our lives that are negative. Like sometimes if we're a certain person, like we need to get in our bodies and go for a run or go for a hike or feel the sand between our toes or whatever it is that makes you feel, you know, do a yoga class, whatever it makes you feel like connected to who you are as a person. And so uh, sometimes it's just calling a, a friend, you know, so those are ways that um, are connecting us. So when I say happy, right, I just mean, it's a, it's a word that's like connecting us to here and now, like what is here. But thank you for sharing. I mean, there's so much there. Thank you. How are we doing on time? Good. I was just going to say too, it, it occurs to me, right, that the older I get and the more like different religions or theologies or um, practices I learn about, the more it's so clear that this concept is central to so many, right, spiritualities and world traditions and, and religions. And I think that's because it's just so hard to do well, right? It's like the idea of mindfulness, right? And being present and all these all these um, ways that it's it's imagined and talked about across the world. There's just such a commonality in it. And, and for me, that points to how true it is, right? It's like, hey, how, how could all these different religions like 
randomly and coincidentally come to the same point that really at the end yeah. of the day you need to the, the the key to to living a fulfilling life and being one right with creation is to be present right yeah. and it's and it's at the same time just so simple and like the hardest thing to do yeah. so just it's a, it's a, a good to be able to meditate on it and yeah. um, be reminded of it so thank you and right like the the meditation app business is like a hundred million dollar business at this point like that can become its own trip where it's like, okay, well, we have to just be, we have to just be more mindful or we have to hit our meditation goal for the day. And instead of looking at kind of like the way that we've talked about faith and religion and mindfulness is like, okay, well, the point of it is to, to make us more present to like Steve Piketty sitting there. Like he's right. This guy's right. He's right there. Look at him. He looks great. Uh, like it, it, it produces, like us being here, right? It's like less about doing the practice of mindfulness and having mindfulness bring us closer to ourselves, our bodies, our lives. Um, what what really matters? Um, but yeah, it's great, great points today. Cool. Well, thank you so much for hosting me and letting me steal. Aaron's mic for for the week. I really appreciate it. And uh, based on our theme this morning, this is probably the last time I'll be here speaking with you. So depending on depending on how Aaron thinks this went, or I guess Bob makes those decisions, uh, this will be the last time. So I appreciate it. Yeah. So thank you, Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, Ryan. We appreciate but, it. But, but sincerely, I'm I'm really grateful to be with you all. All right. Do we end with a, a benediction? Uh, let's. Do you, do you yeah. have it today, Bob? Do we have something on the? Ah, uh, we're. We'll say it together. Yeah, let's all say it together. As we go we'll from this place, place, we commit ourselves to the path of love, honesty, and humility. We dedicate ourselves, as Christ did, to the cause of justice and the courageous embrace of this life, this world, and each other. Amen to that. Amen.